0: Chapter nine of Biographia Literaria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Biographia Literaria by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Chapter nine. Is philosophy possible as a science, and what are its conditions? Giordano Bruno. Literary Aristocracy, or the existence of a tacit compact among the learned as a privileged order. The author's obligations to the mystics to Immanuel kant the difference between the letter and the spirit of kant's writings and a vindication of prudence in the teaching of philosophy victor's attempt to complete the critical system its partial success and ultimate failure obligations to schelling and among english writers to Somares. after i had successively studied in the schools of locke berkeley leibnitz and hartley and could find in none of them an abiding place for my reason i began to ask myself is the system of philosophy as different from mere history and historic classification possible if possible what are its necessary conditions i was for a while disposed to answer the first question in the negative and to admit that the sole practicable employment for the human mind was to observe to collect and to classify but i soon felt that human nature itself fought up against this wilful resignation of intellect and as soon did i find that the scheme taken with all its consequences and cleared of all inconsistencies was not less impracticable than contranatural. Assume in its full extent the position, nihil in intellectu quod non prius in sensu. Assume it without Leibnitz's qualifying praetor ipsum intellectum, and in the same sense, in which the position was understood by Hartley and Condillac. And then what Hume had demonstrably deduced from this concession concerning cause and effect would apply with equal and crushing force to all the other eleven categorical forms and the logical functions corresponding to them. How can we make bricks without straw? or build without cement we learn all things indeed by occasion of experience but the very facts so learned force us inward on the antecedents that must be presupposed in order to render experience itself possible the first book of locke's essay if the supposed error which it labours to subvert be not a mere thing of straw an absurdity which no man ever did or indeed ever could believe is formed on a sophisma heterozaitisius and involves the old mistake of cum hoc ergo propter hoc the term philosophy defines itself as an affectionate seeking after the truth but truth is the co-relative of being this again is no way conceivable but by assuming as a postulate that both are ab initio identical and co-inherent that intelligence and being are reciprocally each other's substrate i presume that this was a possible conception i.e. that it involved no logical inconsonance from the length of time during which the scholastic definition of the supreme being as actus purismus sine ulla potentialitate was received in the schools of theology both by the pontifician and the reformed divines the early study of plato and plotinus with the commentaries and the theologia platonica of the illustrious florentine of proclus and gemistius plato and at a later period of the de immenso et innumerabili and the della causa principio et uno of the philosopher of Nola who could boast of a Sir Philip Sidney and Fulke Greville among his patrons and whom the idolaters of Rome burnt as an atheist in the year sixteen hundred had all contributed to prepare my mind for the reception and welcoming of the cogito quia sum et sum quia cogito a philosophy of seeming hardihood but certainly the most ancient and therefore presumptively the most natural why need i be afraid say rather how dare i be ashamed of the teutonic theosophist jacob beeman many indeed and gross were his delusions and such as furnish frequent and ample occasion for the triumph of the learned over the poor ignorant shoemaker who had dared think for himself but while we remember that these delusions were such as might be anticipated from his utter want of all intellectual discipline and from his ignorance of rational psychology let it not be forgotten that the latter defect he had in common with the most learned theologians of his age neither with books nor with book-learned men was he conversant a meek and shy quietist his intellectual powers were never stimulated into feverish energy by crowds of proselytes or by the ambition of proselyting jacob Beam was an enthusiast in the strictest sense as not merely distinguished but as contradistinguished from a fanatic while i in part translate the following observations from a contemporary writer of the continent let me be permitted to premise that i might have transcribed the substance from memoranda of my own which were written many years before his pamphlet was given to the world and that i prefer another's words to my own partly as a tribute due to priority of publication but still more from the pleasure of sympathy in a case where coincidence only was possible whoever is acquainted with the history of philosophy during the last two or three centuries cannot but admit that there appears to have existed a sort of secret and tacit compact among the learned not to pass beyond a certain limit in speculative science the privilege of free thought so highly extolled has at no time been held valid in actual practice except within this limit and not a single stride beyond it has ever been ventured without bringing obloquy on the transgressor the few men of genius among the learned class who actually did overstep this boundary anxiously avoided the appearance of having so done therefore the true depth of science and the penetration to the inmost centre from which all the lines of knowledge diverged to the ever-distant circumference was abandoned to the illiterate and the simple whom unstilled yearning and an original ebulliency of spirit had urged to the investigation of the indwelling and living ground of all things these then because their names had never been enrolled in the guilds of the learned were persecuted by the registered liverymen as interlopers on their rights and privileges all without distinction were branded as fanatics and phantasts not only those whose wild and exorbitant imaginations had actually engendered only extravagant and grotesque and whose productions were for the most part poor copies and gross caricatures of genuine inspiration but the truly inspired likewise the originals themselves and this for no other reason but because they were the unlearned men of humble and obscure occupations when and from whom among the literati by profession have we ever heard the divine doxology repeated i thank thee o father lord of heaven and earth because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes no the haughty priests of learning not only banished from the schools and marts of science all who had dared draw living waters from the fountain but drove them out of the very temple which meantime the buyers and sellers and money-changers were suffered to make a den of thieves and yet it would not be easy to discover any substantial ground for this contemptuous pride in those literati who have most distinguished themselves by their scorn of Beeman, Thalerus, george fox and others unless it be that they could write orthographically make smooth periods and had the fashions of authorship almost literally at their fingers ends while the latter in simplicity of soul made their words immediate echoes of their feelings hence the frequency of those phrases among them which have been mistaken for pretenses to immediate inspiration as for instance it was delivered unto me i strove not to speak i said i will be silent but the word was in my heart as a burning fire and i could not forbear hence too the unwillingness to give offence hence the foresight and the dread of the clamours which would be raised against them so frequently avowed in the writings of these men and expressed as was natural in the words of the only book with which they were familiar woe is me that i am become a man of strife and a man of contention i love peace the souls of men are dear unto me yet because i seek for light every one of them doth curse me oh it requires deeper feeling and a stronger imagination than belong to most of those to whom reasoning and fluent expression have been as a trade learnt in boyhood to conceive with what might with what inward strivings and commotion the perception of a new and vital truth takes possession of an uneducated man of genius his meditations are almost inevitably employed on the eternal or the everlasting for the world is not his friend nor the world's law need we then be surprised that under an excitement at once so strong and so unusual the man's body should sympathize with the struggles of his mind or that he should at times be so far deluded as to mistake the tumultuous sensations of his nerves and the co-existing spectres of his fancy as parts or symbols of the truths which were opening on him it has indeed been plausibly observed that in order to derive any advantage or to collect any intelligible meaning from the writings of these ignorant mystics the reader must bring with him a spirit and judgment superior to that of the writers themselves and what he brings what needs he elsewhere seek a sophism which i fully agree with warburton is unworthy of milton how much more so of the awful person in whose mouth he has placed it one assertion i will venture to make as suggested by my own experience that there exist folios on the human understanding and the nature of man which would have a far just claim to their high rank and celebrity if in the whole huge volume there could be found as much fulness of heart and intellect as burst forth in many a simple page of george fox jacob Beeman, and even of Beeman's commentator, the pious and fervid William Law. The feeling of gratitude which I cherished toward these men has caused me to digress further than I had foreseen or proposed, but to have passed them over in an historical sketch of my literary life and opinions would have seemed to me like the denial of a debt, the concealment of a boon. For the writings of these mystics acted in no slight degree to prevent my mind from being imprisoned within the outline of any single dogmatic system. They contributed to keep alive the heart in the head, gave me an indistinct yet stirring and working presentiment that all the products of the mere reflective faculty partook of death and were as the rattling twigs and sprays in winter into which a sap was yet to be propelled from some root to which i had not penetrated if they were to afford my soul either food or shelter if they were too often a moving cloud of smoke to me by day yet they were always a pillar of fire throughout the night during my wanderings through the wilderness of doubt and enable me to skirt without crossing the sandy deserts of utter unbelief that the system is capable of being converted into an irreligious pantheism i well know the ethics of spinoza may or may not be an instance but at no time could i believe that in itself and essentially it is incompatible with religion natural or revealed and now i am most thoroughly persuaded of the contrary the writings of the illustrious sage of konigsberg the founder of the critical philosophy more than any other work at once invigorated and disciplined my understanding the originality the depth and the compression of the thoughts the novelty and subtlety yet solidity and importance of the distinctions the adamantine chain of the logic and i will venture to add paradox as it will appear to those who have taken their notion of immanuel kant from reviewers and frenchmen the clearness and evidence of the critique of the pure reason and critique of the judgment of the metaphysical elements of natural philosophy and of his religion within the bounds of pure reason took possession of me as with the giant's hand after fifteen years familiarity with them i still read these and all his other productions with undiminished delight and increasing admiration the few passages that remained obscure to me after due efforts of thought as the chapter on original apperception and the apparent contradictions which occur i soon found were hints and insinuations referring to ideas which kant either did not think it prudent to avow or which he considered as consistently left behind in a pure analysis not of human nature in toto but of the speculative intellect alone here therefore he was constrained to commence at the point of reflection or natural consciousness while in his moral system he was permitted to assume a higher ground the autonomy of the will as a postulate deducible from the unconditional command or in the technical language of his school the categorical imperative of the conscience he had been in imminent danger of persecution during the reign of the late king of prussia that strange compound of lawless debauchery and priest-ridden superstition and it is probable that he had little inclination in his old age to act over again the fortunes and hairbreadth escapes of wolfe the expulsion of the first among Kant's disciples who attempted to complete his system, from the University of Jena, with the confiscation and prohibition of the obnoxious work by the joint efforts of the courts of Saxony and Hanover, supplied experimental proof that the venerable old man's caution was not groundless. In spite, therefore, of his own declarations, I could never believe that it was possible for him to have meant no more by his noumenon, or thing in itself, than his mere words express, or that in his own conception he confined the whole plastic power to the forms of the intellect, leaving for the external cause, for the material of our sensations, a matter without form, which is doubtless inconceivable. I entertain doubts likewise whether in his own mind he even laid all the stress which he appears to do on the moral postulates. An idea, in the highest sense of that word, cannot be conveyed but by a symbol, and, except in geometry, all symbols of necessity involve an apparent contradiction. For Nézy, Sine and for those who could not pierce through this symbolic husk, his writings were not intended. Questions which cannot be fully answered without exposing the respondent to personal danger are not entitled to a fair answer, and yet to say this openly would in many cases furnish the very advantage which the adversary is insidiously seeking after. Veracity does not consist in saying, but in the intention of communicating, truth, and the philosopher who cannot utter the whole truth without conveying falsehood, and at the same time perhaps exciting the most malignant passions, is constrained to express himself either mythically or equivocally. When Kant, therefore, was important to settle the disputes of his commentators himself by declaring what he meant, how could he decline the honours of martyrdom with less offence than by simply replying, I meant what I said, and at the age of near fourscore I have something else and more important to do than to write a commentary on my own works? Victor's Wissenschaftslehre, or Law of Ultimate Science, was to add the keystone of the arch, and by commencing with an act, instead of a thing or substance, Victor assuredly gave the first mortal blow to Spinozism, as taught by Spinoza himself, and supplied the idea of a system truly metaphysical and of a metaphysic truly systematic, i.e. having its spring and principle within itself. But this fundamental idea he overbuilt with a heavy mass of mere notions and psychological acts of arbitrary reflection. Thus his theory degenerated into crude egoismus, a boastful and hyper hostility to nature, as lifeless, godless, and altogether unholy while his religion consisted in the assumption of a mere order ordinans which we were permitted exoterice to call god and his ethics in an ascetic and almost monkish mortification of the natural passions and desires in schelling's Naturphilosophie philosophie and the system des transcendentalen idealismus i first found a genial coincidence with much that i had toiled out for myself and a powerful assistance in what i had yet to do i have introduced this statement as appropriate to the narrative nature of this sketch yet rather in reference to the work which I have announced in a preceding page than to my present subject. It would be but a mere act of justice to myself, were I to warn my future readers, that an identity of thought or even similarity of phrase, will not be at all times a certain proof that the passage has been borrowed from Schelling, or that the conceptions were originally learnt from him. In this instance, as in the dramatic lectures of Schlegel, to which I have before alluded, from the same motive of self-defence against the charge of plagiarism, Many of the most striking resemblances, indeed all the main and fundamental ideas, were born and matured in my mind before I had ever seen a single page of the German philosopher, and I might indeed affirm with truth before the more important works of Schelling had been written, or at least made public. Nor is this coincidence at all to be wondered at. We had studied in the same school, been disciplined by the same preparatory philosophy, namely the writings of Kant. We had both equal obligations to the polar logic and dynamic philosophy of Giordano Bruno, and Schelling has lately, and, as of recent acquisition, avowed that same affectionate reverence for the labours of Beeman and other mystics, which I had formed at a much earlier period. The coincidence of Schelling's system with certain general ideas of Beeman he declares to have been mere coincidence, while my obligations have been more direct. He needs give to Beeman only feelings of sympathy, while I owe him a debt of gratitude. God forbid that I should be suspected of a wish to enter into a rivalry with Schelling, for the honour so unequivocally his right not only as a great and original genius but as the founder of the philosophy of nature and as the most successful improver of the dynamic system which begun by bruno was reintroduced in a more philosophical form and freed from all its impurities and visionary accompaniments by kant in whom it was the native and necessary growth of his own system kant's followers however on whom for the greater part their master's cloak had fallen without or with a very scanty portion of his spirit had adopted his dynamic ideas only as a more refined species of mechanics. With exception of one or two fundamental ideas, which cannot be withheld from Fichte, to Schelling we owe the completion and the most important victories of this revolution in philosophy. To me it will be happiness and honour enough, should I succeed in rendering the system itself intelligible to my countrymen, and in the application of it to the most awful of subjects, for the most important of purposes. Whether a work is the offspring of a man's own spirit, and the product of original thinking, will be discovered by those who are its sole legitimate judges, by better test than the mere reference to dates. For readers in general, let whatever shall be found in this or any future work of mine, that resembles or coincides with the doctrines of my German predecessor, though contemporary, be wholly attributed to him, provided that the absence of distinct references to his books, which I could not at all times make, with truth, as designing citations, or thoughts actually derived from him, and which i trust would after this general acknowledgment be superfluous be not charged on me as an ungenerous concealment or intentional plagiarism i have not indeed a e hugh res angusta domi been hitherto able to procure more than two of his books viz the first volume of his collected tracts and his system of transcendental idealism to which however i must add a small pamphlet against victor the spirit of which was to my feelings painfully incongruous with the principles and which with the usual allowance afforded to an antithesis display the love of wisdom rather than the wisdom of love i regard truth as a divine ventriloquist i care not from whose mouth the sounds are supposed to proceed if only the words are audible and intelligible albeit i must confess to be half in doubt whether i should bring it forth or no it being so contrary to the eye of the world and the world so potent in most men's hearts that i shall endanger either not to be regarded or not to be understood and to conclude, the subject of citation, with a cluster of citations, which, as taken from books not in common use, may contribute to the reader's amusement, as a voluntary before a sermon, Dolet mihi quidem, delicius literarum in subito iam homines adeo esse, praesertim qui Christiano se profitentu, et legere nisi quod ad delectationem fecit, sustineant nihil, unde et discipline servidores, et philosophia ipsa iam feri prosus etiam quod quidem propositum studiorum, nisi mature corrigito tam magnum rebus incommodum dabit, quam dedit barbaries olim. Pertinax res barbaries es fateo sed minus potent tamen, quam illa molities, et persuasa prudentia literarum si ratione caret sapientiae vertutisque specie mortales misere circumducens. Sucedet igitur ut arbitror haud ita multa post pro rusticana seculi nostri ruditate captatrix illa communi loquentia rovu animi virilis omne omnem vertutem masculam profligatura a too prophetic remark which has been in fulfilment from the year sixteen eighty to the present eighteen fifteen by persuasa prudentia Grineus means self-complacent common sense as opposed to science and philosophic reason es medius ordo at valut equestris ingeniorum quidem sagacium at commodorum rebus humanis non tamenem primum magnitudinem patentium eorum hominum ut sic dicam major annona est sedulum esse nihil tamere loqui as labori et imagine prudentiae et modestiae tegere angustiores partes captus dum exercitationem ac usum quo isti in civilibus rebus polent pro natura et magnitudine ingenii plerique acipient as therefore physicians are many times forced to leave such methods of curing as themselves know to be the fittest and being overruled by the patient's impatiency are fain to try the best they can in like sort considering how the case doth stand with this present age full of tongue and weak of brain behold we would if our subject permitted it yield to the stream thereof that way we would be contented to prove our thesis which being the worse in itself is notwithstanding now by reason of common imbecility the fitter and likelier to be brooked if this fear could be rationally entertained in the controversial age of Hooker, under the then robust discipline of the scholastic logic, pardonably may a writer of the present times anticipate a scanty audience for abstrusous themes, and truths that can neither be communicated nor received without effort of thought, as well as patience of attention. Que cio non ero al calcula de punti, pa casinina stella a pre predomini, el somaro el castron sicion conjunti il tempo da puleo piu non si nomini che se allora un sol uom sembrava un asino mille asini a miei di sembran uomini End of chapter nine.